Welcome to Gun Show. From flintlock to full auto and everything in between. That is Michael Helms. He is a firearms historian, and my name is Jason Dias. I'm a U.S. Army and combat veteran. Welcome to a gun show without the politics and the unnecessary bravado. Greetings, and thank you for joining us again here on Episode 3. On our first episode, we talked about the flintlock rifle and the history of the flintlock rifle. In fact, Michael told me a lot of things about those old-style rifles that I didn't know. Most importantly, that they could actually be very accurate. And then for Episode 2, we came up with our list of dream firearms that we would like to get for Christmas. Neither one of us got any of them, and so I thought, since it's in the title, it would be appropriate here in episode three, since it's called From Flintlock to Full Auto, to ask our firearms historian, Michael Helms, in his opinion, what was the first truly functional, fully automatic firearm? That's a great question. So I'm, I'm going to say that there was two. So obviously the Gatling gun is the one that comes to everybody's mind. Right. The interesting thing about a Gatling gun is it wasn't, if you go by the alcohol, tobacco, and firearms definition of a machine gun, it actually wasn't a machine gun because the Gatling gun was hand-cranked. Hmm. So it was, it was right. not using that, that reciprocal recoil energy to, to, load, to load the next round. Uh, you had to turn the crank manually. So Technically, right. that's not a machine gun by the ATF's definition, uh, but it definitely was. I, I have to say it was the first um, just because it really set the pattern for machine guns for almost 100 years. They, they came out in 1860. I think it was 1862 uh, and were used well into the 20th century. Of course, the other is the Maxim, and that, was, uh, that came out in 1884, and it did use recoil from, uh, from the shot to eject the car, or extract and eject the cartridge, the empty cartridge casing, uh, and then to load the next cartridge in. So the Maxim is absolutely a true machine gun, um, according to the federal government, and I think according to anybody else. So I would say those were the first. Uh, they came within 25 years of each other in the 19th century, and they both had a huge effect on warfare. I mean, this was this was a time when how wars were being fought was changing pretty rapidly. So I, I, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about both of those weapons, and I would say that they were the first. Although warfare definitely was changing, it might have been hard to convince the guys in World War I out on the Somme, the battlefields, the trench warfare battlefields of France and other places in Europe during the First World War, and the Union and Confederate soldiers dug in in trenches around Petersburg in the last year of the Civil War. No matter how you feel about it, it is obvious that the automatic machine gun changes entirely the dynamic of warfare, doesn't it, Michael? Absolutely. And, you know, it's, it, it, it's a neat evolution to look at. And, you know, the same thing happened in World War II. I mean, we saw this shift from these heavy, long, accurate, long-range battle rifles. You know, the, the, the apex of that was probably the M1 Garand, um, which was yep. an absolutely superb weapon. And then, you know, 10 years later, we were, we were looking at things like the AR-15 and the AK-47, just totally different weapons. So in terms of, you know, in terms of warfare changing, I mean, this is an incredible amount of change in a very short period of time. Usually we look at this stuff in scales of, you know, over hundreds of years, and now we're talking about, you know, just a decade or two decades. So it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a period of enormous technical change an enormous, you know, change in warfare and social and cultural change. So it's, it's a neat time in history to talk about. 
I told Michael I think about Alexander Graham Bell hearing his voice for the first time and how revolutionary that must have been. The same must have been true for the people that figured out that shoot, recoil, reload action that actually creates the genesis of the modern machine gun. And I was surprised to learn that had been a goal of our country since its inception. And, you know, really, even from the founding of our country, the goal of creating a true repeating firearm, I mean, that was, you know, that was very much on the founding fathers' minds when they created the, the Springfield Armory and the Harper's Ferry Armory. I mean, that was, uh, that was the technological evolution that everybody was driving towards, even in the late 1700s and certainly going into the 19th century. Um, so that was, that was enormously important, and that had been driving technological development for almost a century. And, you know, what we look at going from the revolver to the self-contained cartridge to the, you know, to the auto-loading mechanism, that was, that was really all in service of that goal. I have a degree in American history and love American military history, but even I did not know that about Harper's Ferry and the Springfield Armory. And we'll probably do an entire show about that. So, Jason, tell me, do you have a favorite fully automatic weapon? I do. I absolutely do. Now, as I mentioned, it, when I was in Desert Storm in 1991, during the Battle of Kafchi, I had an M16A1, which has a full auto setting on it. But it is almost never fired that way. In fact, in 1991, the M16A1 was a comparatively older weapon compared to the M16A2, which had, had since incorporated the three to five round burst. It was the burst setting. There was no longer a full auto setting. And the reason I preferred the M16A1, if you'll permit me just a quick side note here, is for whatever reason, the M16A1 obviously does not have an adjustable butt stock. But for whatever reason, the, the length of my arms, the lack of broadness in my shoulders, whatever the case may be, when I, when I held the M16A1 into my shoulder, I could rest the brim of my Kevlar helmet on the, what people think of as the handle. When you look at an M16, that's actually, nobody ever actually carries it by the handle. It's actually there for optics, which we didn't have any of in 1991, and it's there to guard the rear sight aperture. But I could rest my Kevlar helmet right on that handle, and Michael, I just felt like the weapon was locked into me, and so that's why I loved that weapon so much. And the prevailing tactical situation that I found myself in at that particular moment with a group of Iraqi soldiers retreating back towards a door just as some other Iraqi soldiers arrived at the door, I felt the full auto setting was the most appropriate, and I did fire it in that three to five round burst, three to five round burst, three to five round burst, and just like that, you're out of ammo. And so to answer your sure. question, I remembered that day the long, long, long drive from Al-Kafji back to Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. I remember taking a moment to think, man, I wish I had had a saw. And I'm referring to the squad assault weapon, the M249 saw is my absolute favorite fully automatic weapon of all time. That's a good choice. So, so why, why do you think that's the case? And I'm not disagreeing. Well, but, um, I inspired the M60, and when I, when I joined the Army in 1986, it is a period of tremendous transformation for the good. I was part of what we referred to at the time as the new Army, younger, all-volunteers, uh, very motivated, you know, the Reagan babies out to take on the, the communists and the Russians and all of that, a, a lot of uh, patriotic 
fervor going on in the 1980s. I was certainly part of that. I joined the Army because of that commercial. We do more before 9 a.m. than most people do all day. I did things before 9 a.m. that some people have never done in their entire lives. And so I was, I was fortunate to go in at a time when the Huey was becoming the Blackhawk. Steel was becoming Kevlar. Cloth was becoming Gore-Tex. And being sent to a very high-profile light infantry division, the 7th Infantry Division at Fort Ord, California, our area of operation, even though we traveled all over the world, our area of operation was Central America, which was the last flashpoint of the Cold War. The Sandinistas in Nicaragua, there was, of course, the drug issues going on, and we trained for all of that. And the Army realized that they needed, as they were moving away from the fully automatic M16A1, they needed another suppressive weapon that could do some damage up close, which is how light infantry fights. We, we, we don't stand off at a distance. We close in that last 100 meters and kill the bad guys. And the M60 is a great weapon if you know how to fire it. I fired it a few times at Fort Benning, Michael, and I thought I had dislocated my shoulder. I was not cut out of the M60. That's a whole different type of, type of skill set. And so when I got to fire the saw, I was just, first of all, I was absolutely blown away by the absence of recoil when compared to the M60. And because it was a fully automatic weapon, the same training was given, a three to five round burst, three to five round burst. But even if you said three to five round burst, burr, 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 17 rounds just went down range. The amount of firepower, accurate firepower that it set down range, they had to get new targets on the range at, at Fort Ord every time we went out because the, the saw would just rip the targets to pieces, whether they were metal or cardboard or polymer or whatever. It, it was just amazing. If you are an enthusiast who enjoys shooting weapons, if you enjoy firearms and you've got a gun club near you that has one of these, I know we have the McQueenie Gun Club right down the road every now and then, or at least they used to. You could go in and rent uh, 100 rounds and, and shoot 100 rounds through the saw. If you ever get that opportunity, Michael, I would really encourage you to take it. It is a, I hate to use the word beautiful because it's made to kill other human beings, but in the context of an infantry soldier, when that is your job, my job was not to get to know the communist soldiers or the drug runners. My job was to get rid of them. It was beautiful for that purpose. And I shot probably a couple of drums, that would be 400 rounds through the saw, and it never jammed. It was just, it was just, a, just a great, great tactical weapon. That's really neat. I mean, you know, and you mentioned the lack of recoil. I mean, it's worth mentioning, I think an, M an empty M16 weighs, you know, I don't know, what's it, seven or eight pounds, something like that. An empty About M249 that, yeah. weighs seven, 17 pounds. <laughs> and that's not including yeah. the mag, and, you know, obviously the box of ammo on the side. So, um, you know, that's a much heavier yeah. weapon, and that's always going to help with the recoil. But... Yeah, I mean, it, it is an absolutely fantastic reference um, reference weapon for, you know, for what's the perfect squad automatic weapon? Well, there's a reason why it's called. Yeah, it had the fold-down bipod legs on the front. It was not crew-served, so one guy had it per squad typically. And so if you had just, say, a, a squad with an M60 attached to it, I was convinced with 10 guys and, you know, an M60 a saw 
and everyone else with their M16A1s or A2s and the handful of M203 grenade launchers, I would say a squad of 10 or 12 guys in those days at the light infantry level, we were capable of a lot of damage, an awful lot of damage, and 10 or 11 guys could hold a bridgehead or an airfield or take out a, you know, Pablo Escobar's hideout and his guys with their gold-plated AK-47s. I always wished we could have had a chance to go up against what I considered those amateurs uh, who, who made most of their most of their um, kills on people who were simply not trained or prepared for that kind of thing. I always had tremendous motivation to see if this whole thing could work when it was finally applied, and then thankfully in Desert Storm, um, it wasn't quite the full application of light infantry, but I did get to see the full theater of operation, what we called combined arms at, at work. But I always talk about this in the context of the light infantry soldier. I could go places that a satellite can't see. I can go into places that a YouTube can't photograph. And I can go do things and know things and confirm things that the most technological advancements to this very day assess or confirm. And so to have that, you'll see uh, movies. There's a, there's a movie a lot of people have seen, Black Hawk Down, where one of the scenes, a soldier fires a saw at two guys coming at him down an alley. And typically you might not fire it from a standing position, but, but that was a great, whoever set that up, they really got it right because it's just that many rounds that fast and the the impact it has on on people is pretty immediate and of course michael you know you know talking about ak-47s and, and m60 machine guns oh. you know the difference the ballistic difference between the 7.62 caliber round and the 5.56 caliber round that the nato countries and the americans were using and and since vietnam there had been some discussion about the stopping power of 5.56 i mean it's probably going to kill somebody if they get hit three or four times in the torso, but it doesn't necessarily kill them right away. And while that might not seem like a big deal to a civilian, if somebody has a chance to throw off a grenade or get off the last few shots, that can still cause a lot of damage. When you, when you aim center mass, you want that person to go down and stay down. And the saw was, was an answer to that issue because I don't care who you are. You can be the Russian from Rocky IV. You take a blast from a saw in the kill zone, center mass, you're not going to get up from that. And I think, and I think a lot of people don't realize that, that the M249 fires the same 5.56 round. Same round. You can actually, it in, yeah, in desperate situations, you can actually take an M16A1 magazine and load it into the saw on the side. A lot of people don't know that really? either as a last resort. Yep, you can breach load it, shoot it one at a time, or you can take the, the M16A1 magazine or A2 magazine and, and you can click it into into the saw and, and like I said, it's a, it's a last resort, but um, that you'll go through a 30-round magazine in about a half a second. Yeah, but that's interesting. I didn't, I didn't know that about the M249, so it, it will take an M16 magazine. It absolutely will, and you know it was it was just such a you know great weapon. It had that that drum at the bottom. You know you can you can say yes, the M60. They called it the pig because it it ate. It had a voracious appetite for ammunition. But a hundred rounds goes pretty quick, 
if you're in a hot situation. But when you add 200 rounds, that's, you can shoot for a little while with 200 rounds. That's a, that's a pretty nice, you'll rarely ever need sure. that many rounds, to be perfectly honest. I was in sure. combat for about 15 seconds, and I fired maybe 45 rounds. And it seemed to go by pretty fast. And that's why I said when I was driving back from Al-Kafji that day, even though I didn't know I had been in Al-Kafji, uh, I remember thinking that very thought, man, I wish if I'd had a saw, I could have gotten all of them kind of thing. And, uh, you know, yeah. in those days there were no optics, but the M249 was accurate right out of the case. It didn't need to be zeroed. <laughs> it was just, just a great, great full auto. And so to answer that question, sort of a long six-minute answer, yes, for me it's the M249 saw, no doubt. Interesting. Well, that's a, a, I mean, that's a good choice. I mean, the, and there's a reason the M249 has been in, uh, been in, I think, continuous production since, uh, I want to say the early 1980s, 83, 84, something like that. Um, I would say and, it's and about being that. And, today. Yeah. and you will very rarely find it anybody in the combat arms that will have anything bad to say about it. It is, it is much loved. Yeah. It is one of those weapons that when you're in infantry school, you hope you get assigned because everyone just loves yeah. shooting that weapon. And after we recorded this show, I actually checked with the McQueenie Gun Club. If you're anywhere in South Texas, it is worth the drive to get on down here to Guadalupe County near New Braunfels, Texas, and go out to the McQueenie Gun Club. They'll get you set up with the saw and some ammo, and you will have literally a blast. Or in this case, more appropriately, a three to five round burst, but it'll be a blast. Thank you so much for listening to Gun Show from Flintlock to Full Auto and everything in between. That's Michael Helms. My name is Jason Dias, and we wish you a great day. And remember, shoot straight and shoot safe. Until next time, take care.